0: and welcome. My name is Rick and I'm the campus pastor out in Milton. I'm glad to be here with you this morning in Mississauga. We are moving on in our paradox series and you know there's an age-old practice and tradition that says when a husband is in the doghouse, when we have done something so horrible like forgotten the anniversary of the first date when we were officially a couple or something life-changing like that, or when uh, we've let our wife down in some way shape or form when we're in the doghouse like that we are no longer afforded the privilege of sleeping in the bed are we where uh, where are the men sent when they're in the doghouse they're sent to the they're sent to the couch that's right and women along the years over the years they have decided that the couch is quite possibly the worst punishment that they could dish out to their husbands now there's this age-old secret among men that I'm going to share with the women in the room this morning. And it's something that might shock you, might blow your minds. I don't mean to rock everything that you hold dear and true, but the couch ain't all that bad, actually. And I'm not sure where you decided that the privilege of sleeping next to you was the highest privilege we could ever attain as men, but it's, but it, it's not. If There's this You're feeling that you're taking away this wonderful experience. It will crush us so deeply that we will never again do that thing that has angered you. And then those words that are spoken in anger, you're on the couch, sometimes are the sweetest words that I've ever been spoken. See, because ladies, you've never slept beside yourself, have you? And I'm not sure if there was a different kindergarten class for men and women But when I went to kindergarten, sharing meant 50-50, equal partnership, that we all got to participate in this. But I think one day, all the kindergarten teachers get the girls aside, and they go, that's sharing for the boys. But when it comes to you, sharing between boys and girls looks a little more like this. When you're sharing with, with the boys... You only have to share about 15%, because when you share a bed, we get about 15, you get about 85% of the bed. So when you say you're on the couch, a lot of times in our minds we go, oh, finally, I'm going to have some room to sleep tonight. And you know, I I can't think of anything more pleasant than the stale smell that emits from a person's mouth after they've not uh, eaten or drank or brushed their teeth or anything for seven or eight hours. But those deep sighs that you let out in the middle of the night right into our faces uh, it actually means that we avoid that experience when we, when you say you're on the couch. You know, when we sleep on the couch, it means that we're not going to be kicked all night long, which is not always lovely. It, it means avoiding the random 2 a.m. conversations when you're woken up by those random thoughts that you have going on in your heads all night long for some reason while we're sleeping you're thinking and you wake us up and you say hey what did we get your mother for her birthday last year you know we need to do something better to get we need to get her something better it's always so difficult to buy for your mother why is it so difficult and we're thinking it's lovely to chat but not at 2 a.m. can we (laughs) this conversation really could happen at any time in the day i'm not sure why you chose 2 a.m. to have this conversation this conversation or you'll say something like did we put the cheese away And you're thinking really do you want me to get out of bed to go down the stairs and look if the cheese is molding and then you follow it up with because i think the unicorn is going to come into the kitchen and eat the cheese and then i realize you're not even awake right now you're having random 2 a.m conversation out of your dream with me and sleeping on the couch means not having those conversations and then of course there's always the debate on is the bedroom too hot or too cold, and you always say, it's too cold in here, it's too cold in here. And we're saying, no, it's not too cold in here. Although, when your feet touch us in the middle of the night, and they're ice cubes, and that run shivers up and down our body, maybe it is colder on your, half of the, on your 85% of the bed than it is on our 15% of the bed. So no, the couch ain't all that bad, always. And this morning, we are getting into our last paradox, and we're going to look at times when we gain through what might look like loss and just like men can gain when we lose the privilege of sleeping in the bed and yes we do enjoy sharing the bed with you there's just times that it's not so great it's a principle that applies in many areas of our lives as well as in the scriptures and we're going to look at that this morning see in your life if you gain things sometimes you lose but when we lose sometimes we gain if we lose weight what do we gain we gain health we lose weight we lose health. If you were following the stock markets this week, there were, there were people who were buying stocks after Friday and then Monday's crash. Why is that? Because when they're at their lowest, they know if we buy here, and even if we lose for the next few days or the next few weeks, we could have significant gains if we sell these off later when the, when the value has gone up. We can gain through loss. So we're going to look at what it talks about in Scripture, how we indeed do this as well. So you're going to want to have your Bibles open. And if you don't have a Bible with you, just slip up your hand and our ushers will make sure you get a copy of the Bible to share. And you can follow along in your U version if you're on your apps. And if uh, you can just search up Portico or uh, Mississauga and you will find all of our notes right there. And we are going to read Philippians 3... Uh, chapter, chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. We're going to do that in our chapel venue, in our video venue, here and live as well. And if you're at the cottage and you've escaped this weekend, join us. I, we know that you're there. You're watching. So open your Bibles. Let's read Philippians 3, 7 and 8. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. You know, so many of us live our entire lives in pursuit of things that have no eternal value. And we end off our lives with a list of accomplishments and things that we're proud of, achievements, things that we've been able to to do, and we can look back at them and say, you know what, she started her own company, she managed her business, she sold it off, she did well, she was successful. Maybe if you're a musician, you can look back at the end of your life and say, I started a band, I recorded an album, I toured the world, I visited all the cities I wanted to visit maybe, I raised a family and my kids were successful maybe it's, I finished the race. These are the kinds of things that we're going to look back on at our end of days and say, this brought us satisfaction on our time here on earth. And lots of them are very good things. Hard work and business, living a solid life, that's a noble cause to put your efforts into. Even the altruistic ones saying, I'm working to create a family that loves and that, and that knows God. Paul says that unless we put our efforts into the eternal things. And some of those things may have eternal value, but unless our focus is on the things of eternal value, then it's all just garbage in comparison with what we gain through knowing Christ. And if you have your Bibles, look at the verses prior to verses 7 and 8 in Philippians 3. We'll see that Paul lists out all the things that he would have said would have been on his life highlight reel, the things that he considered a gain for him. He said he was circumcised according to the law of Moses, making him a Jew, making him part of God's chosen and favored nation. He was born into the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe that gave Israel its first king and the tribe where eventually Jesus would track his lineage into. He was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader from the strictest order and amongst those he was the most educated so not only educated within the people but as well as within the pharisees he was more passionate about his religion than anyone else in fact he said if you looked at his life he lived his life so well adhering to the law that he would be blameless and if you remember last week we looked about even a blameless life still can become a slave to sin because of our nature and yet in sharing all these, he says, I'm not bragging, and I don't credit any of those things at, to my gains. I give them all up, and all that value up in earthly accolade. The only thing of value that I have, says Paul, is knowing Jesus. Here are the words of Christ. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? last winter in Ontario, the worst winter that we have ever experienced. I've lived here in this region of Ontario for 36 years, and I have never experienced a winter like it was last year. Do you remember last winter? Yeah, if you're newer to the country, we promise. It's not like this every year. It was just like this the last couple of years. And a friend and I were hanging out, and he makes this flippant remark, and he says, "'Hey, do you want to do an Ironman race this summer?' And I said, yeah, that's a great idea. We were were just dreaming of, of warm days. And he and I had been training over the last few years. And we had done triathlons. And the normal distance, the distance they compete in the Olympics, it took us about two and a half hours to complete. And we had been training like that. We had done a few really long bike rides over 100 kilometers and so forth. But the Ironman race is a whole different thing altogether, it tests the limits of every human will that's a four kilometer swim a 180 kilometer bike a 42 kilometer run which is the entire marathon and we looked at that and we said you know maybe we won't take that one on right away but there is a shorter version a 70.3 which 70 miles 123 kilometers with average finishing time between four and eight hours and we sat there and we said we're going to take this on we're going to do this And there's only three Ironman races in all of Canada, and there's one that happens to be in the Muskoka region, and it happens to be 15 minutes from my uh, in-law's cottage. So this was set up perfectly for us. It was like God was telling us to do the Ironman race, let me tell you. Maybe not. But it it sparked four or five months of intense training, more intense than I have ever experienced. And Every Monday, my version of Sabbath included the most physical, exhausting work of my week. But if you're a runner, if you're a long-distance athlete, you know that, that doing that, it can be spiritually refreshing and you have times to, to think and connect with God and then for those of you who don't run, when you try and go out and run, you really connect with God in those moments as well too. Right? Like, Lord, give me breath. I need air. We know that running can, can help us with that. But we learned what it meant to fuel ourselves, not off of food, but what we had stored up in our bodies. We discovered what it was to push through walls that we never thought we could. I discovered how wonderful a product peanut butter is. And when you mix peanut butter and chocolate frosting in like a little bag, you can suck that thing back and run for hours after that. It's a wonderful thing. Try it one day if you're not alone to nuts. We fought through (laughs) blisters, and we fought through stomach cramps, and we found out that there are products, there are tape products you can tape all over your body to protect yourself from rubbing. Look that up on your own. If this message gets boring, go ahead and Google that. But it all culminated on a 30-degree day in this past July, where I finished The Ironman crossed the line in just under six hours with a bounce still in my step. And as I was heading towards the finish line, I could see my family over there, and I thought, I'm so happy that they're here because I'm not doing this again. And I ran over and hugged them and we walked to the end and we received a medal for finishing and listen, I could sit down and talk racing and triathlons for hours with you and after the race I went on and I made sure I got a pendant that I wear around my neck every day with the Ironman symbol on it and there's lots of Ironman athletes where they they tattoo it on their body because we have these conversations with each other we like to share the experience because we know what it takes we know all the investment that we put into it and the achievement that it was and by far it was my greatest physical accomplishment to my life so far. But the pendant that I wear around my neck is all lost, compared with the cross that's imprinted on my heart. And regardless of how old you are in this room, we have our junior highs and our youth in to service this morning. You could be 15 years old. You have something that you're proud of right now, something you've invested into, a reason for living. Maybe you're a little bit older than 15 and you've lived a lot more of your life and you're looking back now on your days and saying, you know, here are the things that I've done. Here's what I've put my life's work into. And Paul says, none of it has value compared with the value of knowing Jesus. Here are the words of Jesus in Matthew 19 and 20. Everyone who has left houses our, our, our wealth, or brothers or sisters or father or mother or earthly relationships or wife or children or fields, for my sake we'll receive a hundred times as much and we'll inherit eternal life. That's a big promise from Jesus, saying that anything we can accomplish here on earth, we will receive a hundred times more if we go after his kingdom, if we go after what he has for us. So this morning we're not looking at, are we giving up sinful things to receive something? It's a discussion of purpose. Why do we get up? and live every day of our lives is it for our kingdom to see what we can build or is it for his kingdom to see what he has for us and we want to spend a few moments looking at the scriptures what happens when we trade in what we have and start to live for what he has for us and the first thing that we get when we sacrifice again when 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 we lose our kingdom is we gain relationship and you can fill in the blanks there and you're either on your app or on your notes But there's a story of a man named Abraham in Genesis 12 through 25. And Abraham is the man with whom God makes this initial covenant. And he promises this desert nomad that he's going to create a great nation out of him and his family. And he promises that he's going to have more descendants, too many that he could even count. He says that rescue from the world is going to come from this family and from this lineage. He's a man that saw some of the greatest miracles ever take place. His wife, at 90 years old, had a baby, unmistakably a child chosen by God for great purposes. Abraham met with angels. He spoke with God face to face. Yet when James, the New Testament writer, characterizes Abraham, you know how he characterizes him? He says, he was called God's friend. And there are people in church this morning, you're watching online, you're listening on a podcast, and you have a list of life accomplishments, things that you've worked hard for, things that you've, 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 you've thought through, that you've worked, you've sweated over, you've earned, you've gained them, and you feel that they have value. But something's still missing in your life this morning, and you think, it's not enough. And it's not enough because there's more in relationship. There's so much more in our relationship with Jesus. Having things of value doesn't mean anything if we don't feel valued. And relationship with Jesus, knowing that he values us, is the greatest thing that we could ever accomplish. It's the greatest thing we could ever receive. If our priorities become centered on what we do and what we accomplish, that's where our true value in life will live. And if our priority is on relationship with Jesus, then he gets to define the value of our life. We have a system in church, and sometimes it can lead us down the wrong road, the wrong thought pattern, because even things like church attendance and Bible reading and and prayer, giving, serving, all these things that are good, that are important in the life of someone who's working on a relationship with Jesus, those can be added into any life. It doesn't matter if you have faith. You can attend church. You can serve. You can give. You can do all these things. But if it's not centered on knowing him and having relationship with him, then it misses the true value of it when jesus was teaching people to pray back in his day he s- he noticed this pattern among people there were people who kept the law but missed the relationship with the father and he, when he taught them to pray look at the first words out of his mouth luke eleven two. 2 and he said to them when you pray say father which is translated dad don't don't come and, and just offer something that because it's good or because it's a prayer that you know you're supposed to come to them and say dad I need to have a conversation, relationship. Our lives were never meant to be lived as a contest to see how much can we accomplish with our life? How many good things can I do? How can I impress God as best as I'm living? They were never meant to be lived like a list like that. They were meant to be lived to see if we could really just get to know the one God. Look at Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family and bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. And if you sit here in church this morning and you're wondering, is my life moving ahead fast enough? Have I done enough in this world? students right now i know you're worried about you're going to school and you're having to choose courses and figure out what kind of classes you're going to take maybe you're going to university or college or some kind of training program this next fall and you're worried about am i doing the right thing you're wondering am i in the right relationship you're wondering have i done enough things to make god happy just stop all that matters is in the midst of all we do have you met jesus And is that relationship the number one thing that you live for? One of the greatest gifts that we gain with kingdom living when we give up losing for our own pursuits, we gain relationship and the comfort of being fulfilled in that relationship and nothing else. Second thought is that we also gain contentment. And if we went around all the rooms that we're meeting in this morning, we could see that a majority of us have a significant worry on our minds right now. I'm not going to ask you to raise hands But I bet there's something that is worrying you, that you've carried in, that's a weight on your shoulders. And for a lot of us, it could be centered around something that we're trying to accomplish. Maybe one of those life pursuits, we're thinking, I have to do this, and if I don't do this this year, this is going to cause me big trouble. Maybe it's more health-related for you. I was talking with a family this week, and a family that went in, one of the family members had a cyst removed, and the cyst was tested and they thought it was benign, but they went in and they got the call and said, no, it's not, it's cancerous. Everything changed that day and they've got this worry. Maybe it's job related. Should you quit? Should you go back and get more school? Should you advance onto a new role? Maybe it's a relationship. Where's this relationship going? We've been dating for such and such a time. Is this the right time now? What's the thing that you're worried about right now? What's, what's on your mind? What's causing you this kind of stress? And when we consider how many hours we spend worrying about why God has allowed this circumstance or why God has allowed this struggle into our lives, we think we stress over finding a reason why, or God, there must be a purpose. Why would you allow this into my life? And we, you and I will fight to discover, to find the answer. And we think, if you walk in one day and you were fired, and you think, well, there must be a new plan for God in my life this must be a significant thing that God is doing and maybe no the company's just downsizing and some people are going to be let go Maybe this isn't something that there's this big reason for or or if 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 i'm sick God is it because I sinned? Is there a lesson you want to teach me? Or maybe it's because we're humans living in a broken world and we get sick and you know, there, there are cases, and we've studied them, we've taught about them, where God specifically brings a challenge into our life for a specific time, and he wants to teach us a very unique lesson. And, and that's very true. It can happen. But you know, there are also times when life goes on, and because we live in a broken world, we face hurt and we face challenge. And then we get into this power struggle. We say, I need to know why. I need to know how I'm going to deal with this. But what if there is no why? What if the circumstance you're in right now was not brought on by God as judgment or correction? It was just part of your life. Well, that's hard for us, isn't it? It's really difficult because we like cause and effect and we like explainable reasons. But here's the gift of the kingdom. The gift of the kingdom is if we don't live for ourselves and we don't live for this world and how our world is going to work out, we can have contentment in the midst of complete uncertainty. We can have peace when things don't make sense. Because you and I have lived long enough to know there are times when this world and this life doesn't make sense. And the gift he's offering you this morning is take my peace. And don't necessarily look for an answer why, just look for me in the midst of it. Philippians 4 and 7 says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What would it take for you this morning to be able to say, I don't need to know why. I just need to know God. And I trust that God's going to work this out. And whether he tells me now or when I see him face to face and I look and I say, God, what was happening? And he said, it was just a matter of trust. What would it take for you to be able to get there? You know what it takes? It takes losing control. It takes giving that up and saying, I lose. I don't get to have that control anymore. But the gain is peace and contentment. In relationship with Jesus there's a story in scripture we studied it back in the fall in our journey series and there was a a lady by the name of Naomi and she married Elimelech and they were Jews and they moved to a country and a region called Moab and Moab was a place where they didn't serve Jehovah the God that we read about in the Bible and Elimelech and Naomi they had two boys and those two boys married two Moabite women now in tragedy all three men died and Naomi decides in that moment she's going to move back to Israel. And she talks to her girls, and she says, you know what, stay here among your people. You've had tragedy. You've got to make sense of life. Just stay here, figure out life, remarry, live, live on. And when catastrophe comes our way, when challenge comes our way, our natural reaction is to look for an answer, to recenter ourselves, and to move forward as best we know how. And one of the girls did this. But the book of Ruth and the story of Ruth teaches us an opposite way of doing it. She places her hands completely into God's care. A God that she didn't know. But she said, I'm going to trust that God has something better for me than what I can do for myself. Look at Ruth 1 and 16. This is Ruth's response in the midst of catastrophe. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and here it is. Your God will be my God. She goes back to Israel. She has no money. She has no hope. She has no future. In that that context, she had no real prospects of what it's going to do, but she took a risk and said, God, even though I don't know how it's going to work out, I trust you today. And if we see the story, God provides food, God provides protection, and eventually God provides a redeemer, a unique individual in Jewish culture who could step in and be worthy of marrying Ruth, called the kinsman redeemer, and preserve her future. Folks, that's what's offered to us this morning in the midst of unknown. He's offering us a redeemer and say, I'll take care of you. Even if you don't know how it's going to work out, I'll give you the peace. And even if you walked into church this morning and you don't know God the way that you think that maybe some other people in here know God, that's the challenge. Will you trust him this morning? You may not know God, but you know you need peace this morning. It's offered to you this morning in the person of Jesus Christ. And what is the worry that you had earlier? What is the thing that you wrote about that, or that you, that you had thought about Each of us has a choice this morning. We can choose to use every resource we have at our disposal and try to work it out for ourselves. Or we can trust that we have a Savior who holds our future in our hands. And whether it works out the way we would choose or not, we can have peace knowing that our life is in His hands. Here's the words of Paul in Philippians 12 and 13. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. He doesn't say, I can do anything and it'll all work out. He said, I I can do it all because he's going to give me the strength to do it. And the gain of a life lived for Christ is peace in the midst of the unknown. It's contentment its relationship with God more than having to work for God's approval. And finally this morning, the gift that's offered to us is freedom. And I'm going to invite our ushers and our communion service to come. We're going to serve. We're going to participate in communion this morning, and they're just going to distribute that as I continue to speak. But Jesus Christ is the greatest example of a life that gains through loss. He was living in heaven in complete perfection and he leaves perfection and he comes to live down here on earth where it's a little less than perfect as we would probably all agree and he was given a mission to die for the sins and the wrong acts of people and even in the waning moments before it would all go down he was going to experience this he takes a moment and he checks back in with his father in Luke 22 and 42 he says dad If you're willing, take this cup from me. God, if you're able, can we do this a different way? Because it's hard. And I'm not too excited about it. But then look at this. But not my will. Yours be done. And you know why he's able to do it? He's able to do it because he had relationship with a dad, with a God. He didn't have a life that was built up on what he had achieved or what he had done that even please God he had a life built on relationship and you know why he had peace because he knew that even though if it didn't work out in the next few days or for him the next few hours he knew it would work out in the end and in his ultimate loss we gain ultimate freedom and as he hung on the cross he cries out it's finished and he didn't mean it's finished meaning I did it. He means my mission. What I came to do is finished. Freedom for all of humanity is complete because I was able to say, I don't live for this world and this kingdom. I live for a different world and a different kingdom. And if you and I live with anything less than perfect relationship with our heavenly father or complete contentment knowing that he's in control in the midst of uncertainty or complete freedom from the penalty of sin, if we live anything less than that, then we've already lost that which Jesus lost for us to gain. Isn't that funny that for us to lose is gain, and Jesus' loss is still our gain? Galatians 5 and 1. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened by a yoke of slavery. And this morning, we're going to participate in communion. Just as you receive the elements, just hold them there for a moment. But as we take these together, it's going to signify perfect relationship with Jesus. And we join in his sacrifice and receive freedom. It signifies our inclusion in that, the freedom that was won on our behalf. And the most beautiful thing is it's a gift for anyone here this morning. All it requires is that you say, yeah, I believe that Jesus was God's son, and that gift is for me. And we're going to pray in a moment here. And I want to pray for you. If this morning you walked in and you weren't sure that you had right relationship with God, we're going to pray for you. You can receive that in a moment. And life doesn't have to be about doing your best and achieving the most anymore. All it has to be is as you live your days, get to know Jesus. I'm going to pray for you. If you're in the midst of an uncertain moment, And you're saying, Lord, I don't get why this is happening. I'm going to pray and we're going to believe that he's going to grant you peace this morning and contentment that you can walk out of here still uncertain, but completely peaceful about what's happening. I also want to pray with you this morning. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus and received the freedom from the penalty that is sin in our lives. And this morning in a moment, just in a brief moment, you can say, Lord, I want your freedom. I believe this message is for me and I need this. So wherever you are this morning, would you bow your heads and would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for this moment that we've had together and the truth that's in your word. We believe that this truth is the thing that gives us life and the way that centers the way that we should live every day. And Lord, I pray for all people in all those situations, Lord, that right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit we believe to be real can come right now and give each of us individually what we need and what we receive this morning. And Lord, we open up our, our minds, and we open up our arms and say, Lord, please take this brokenness. This brokenness I've been trying to live for myself. This brokenness I've been trying to control and know all the answers. This brokenness of me who is sinful. And take it, Lord, and give us freedom, peace, and relationship, Lord. And Lord, thank you so much for being obedient to the mission of not living for an earthly kingdom, but for a heavenly kingdom. And help us to live every day of our lives in that same way.